Welcome, welcome, welcome to Soul Talk, where we got to talk about the stuff that's really going on. And I don't know one of us who doesn't have some issue with control. Okay, I know we want to deny that, but let's just be honest. Let's just get it out that all of us have some sort of issue with control in one way or another. Isn't it true that we just want it? Well, I don't know. Are we going to talk about soul control today? I don't know if that's where we're going, but I am super excited about our guest today. Uh, she's a good friend of mine, mother of three young men, Grant Reed Quinn, wife to awesome husband, Greg, of 27 years. She works in medical supplies presently, but many years ago was an English teacher and also a personal trainer, and she continues to this day to be a runner extraordinaire. Uh, she's a faith hero of mine in that she has allowed God to move her from one way of viewing the world to another, hence the control topic. And in the way that it often happens, it's been done through the vehicle of pain and suffering. But ever authentic, ever energetic, ever a noticer and lover of other people, Susan's life portrays a message that she never imagined it would. Hers is the story of holding on to hope when everything else is being stripped away. And just, I just want to get to it. I'm so excited for us all to listen and learn from what's been deposited in my good friend. So please welcome with me a great friend, a faithful sister, and truly a powerhouse of a person, Susan McCrabb. Ah, crowd goes wild. Hello, Susan. So Hello. happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I'm so happy to have you with us, as I said. And I'm thinking that because of what you've just sort of given birth to, this is an interesting and exciting time in your life. Might I be right about that? It is, in fact, very interesting. Uh, it is exciting. There's a lot of emotion that goes goes with uh, sharing your soul to <laughs> the public. So there are some mixed emotions, uh, but a, a lot of cool things happening from it all. Yeah. So what's happening is that Susan has just written and released a book and it is her life story in particular, some events that have gone on that we're going to find out more. But we sit here, uh, how many weeks has the book been out? It came out oddly on my 50th birthday. I mean, you planned that. You had to <laughs> no, plan that. No. That's I, amazing. It, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And I had been writing it for over two years. So the fact that it came out on the very uh, morning of my birthday was kind of mind-blowing. I so, think that's so cool. It was cool. It what was a cool. way to bring in 50. Yeah. So it's been, it's been out for about a month. I love it. I love it. That's amazing, though, that it came out then. So before we get into, you know, really the contents of the book and why you wrote it, um, I think it'd be great for the listener to know a little bit more about the context of kind of who you were and what the majority of your life has been like, if you don't mind just sort of taking us there a bit. Sure. Um, so I grew up in a home where I was the only um, child between my parents, and they had both had uh, families previously, but I was raised very spoiled and very <laughs> um, taken care of, mm. dated my childhood sweetheart in Greg that we then were married mm. after literally a month after I graduated from college. So pretty much went from being the baby girl taken care of by my parents to um, Greg's wife at age 22. Mm. And he did a phenomenal job of picking up where they left off and <laughs> taking care of me and spoiling me and oh. um, being an amazing husband. We we live in um, Ohio in a suburb, Dublin, and have three boys. And I was fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom for most of their mm -hmm. growing up and really threw myself into their every every need and wish and loved, loved my time with my fellows. And Greg did an amazing job providing for us and, again, taking care of the big stuff. And I took care of the kiddos and uh, we we created this kind of perfect little life that well we tried to create this perfect mm, little life mm, and mm, for mm. Our, for our boys and uh, it went as planned for the most part no big bumps. Mm. Um, that sounds very American dream ish if I should say such such a thing or even 
just the way that it's kind of supposed to be, the way we all kind of hope it to be. Yes. We we had a recipe and we were following it. Mm. Truly, that's what that feels like is that there mm-hmm. was intentionality there mm-hmm. too. And and where do you think you got the recipe? Was it just, you know? It Greg and I both had a few, as everyone, we had some struggles uh, during our, our childhood. Uh, my brother was killed in a car accident when I was in eighth grade. And I very mm. much started, uh, I, I didn't know I was doing it. I look back and realize I was doing it, but very much wanting to heal our family and take charge of the pain that's just so intense uh, that my parents were living through. and So as an eighth grader? I was very aware of making things better for them by Uh, performing. uh, Very aware that my good grades and my athletic endeavors made them happy. mm. And so I kept doing that and... I wasn't one to break rules very much at all because mm-hmm. I wanted to keep life easy and light, lighter for my parents after watching the the morning that they had gone through. Yeah. And, um, and then Greg and I dated all through um, junior high and high school and, and his parents divorced and he was very much taken off guard by that, and it very much changed his trajectory. Mm-hmm. And we, again, didn't plan it out, but we did plan it out that we were going to create this family that didn't feel this sort of heartache. Uh, and wow. So wow. I, I yeah. very much yeah. look back and realize that from the pain we both endured, we wanted to create this life for our family. Yeah. Boy, that is so interesting that you can have a sense of having this shared vision um, consciously. Because I would say that many of us have a compensatory vision based upon our past lives, our formative years, uh, unconsciously. I will never be like my mother. I will never allow this to happen to my kids if I ever have kids. I will not ever do this in the workplace since we will not ever struggle financially. You know, this sort of living in opposition or living in reaction to things that just drives so many people, but it's so often unconscious. And it is fascinating to me that you could kind of tell there was a, probably not intentionality, that'd be too strong, but there was a consciousness to yours and Greg's shared vision. And to be honest, it was like working in a sense, right? It was like idyllic. It was working. It was working great. Oh. <laughs> Till it wasn't, but it worked great for a while. Oh, so it that's did. just a huge phrase you just said. That's a huge phrase you just said. It was working great. Till it wasn't. And so do you want to talk about that? Sure, sure. So uh, we were motoring along with life and um, we were, what we did really well was we were, Greg and I both very physical, athletic uh, people that really pushed that with our kids as well. And we were on a spring break vacation skiing, and it was gorgeous. We were in Telluride, Colorado. And Greg, who had skied his whole life, definitely of our family, the veteran skier. Fantastic skier. I it, we had an ongoing joke that I could never keep up. I could never look as graceful as him, <laughs> and uh, yet I tried, but it never worked. Um, we we got separated uh, during a, a run, a ski run, and Greg fell, hit in a really we we, st- we don't know because he was by himself, but uh, flipped over and was lodged under a tree. Was missing for a while. We couldn't find him um, and had had a a bad fall, which ended in paralysis Mm. and um, has a complete sever that he unfortunately won't be able to move below his belly button for the rest of his life. And um, Mm. he was 46 when it happened. We were really, we're at the height of our athleticism, we were running marathons and triathlons and skiing and um, hmm. took all of that as very much a part of who we were and how it identified us. And it, we, we set goals to, 
to meet and was very fulfilling and fun. Mm. And then that happened and um, changed everything. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's intense that life can change on a dime. And this is this is what you know, that life can change in an instant. And it's just, isn't it so interesting, Susan, how people live without realizing that actually can happen. Mm-hmm. That it actually can happen. It actually can all change everything in a millisecond. Everything changed in a millisecond, yes. And I think we thought we were doing so great and so in control that it couldn't happen to us. Oddly, even though it had happened to both of us in different ways as children, you know, with me losing my brother and um, Greg's parents divorcing, we saw that it, we, you know, we had lived through something before, but yet we we thought, oh, we've got this, we're in control. And the accident happened and and changed us and led us down a path that's taken a long time, a long, long time to heal. Um, and I, actually, I don't know that we will ever completely heal. To be right, really honest, right. if we're just going to be straight out honest, yes. I don't think there will ever be a day that we don't miss things about our old life and Absolutely. that we don't mourn losses. And uh, But we're doing way better now. <laughs> yeah. But that's so true. I love, I love your willingness to take us there uh, because it is so true. That, you know, we are never okay with brokenness. I think that's really important for us to realize if we're going to be people that are honest people living honestly within the souls that God has made us to be. You know, he, his word says, Ecclesiastes 3.1, that he has set eternity, or 3.11, I don't remember which one, I think it's 3.11, <laughs> that he set eternity in our hearts, which means that perfection, Right? No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more anything wrong whatsoever. That lives inside us. And so you're exactly right. Well, ne- you'll never be the same, like, because brokenness has come in a way to just be in your face every day. Right. You know? And yeah. Yeah, it is in our face every day. And, uh, it hurts every day, but the hurt does get less, and um, our faith has increased. So there are gifts from it, for sure. Mm. Some beautiful gifts from it. Yeah. And so, I don't know, do you want to try to describe to us what it is like, especially in those early moments and those surreal days and weeks, to go from hang on, it was working. Our, our equation was working. I mean, you know, I don't, I pray you're not too hard on yourself for, <laughs> we thought it was working because it had worked for so long. It, it, you know, your kids were into adolescence, I think at least. Yes. Yeah. High school and junior high. Yeah. And so you had lived many, many years with, oh, it seems to be working. So in the space that is the grace for yourself to realize like, okay, I guarantee the massive onslaught of just, I don't even know how to operate right now, let alone adjust to a new normal. I bet you hate that phrase, right? Mm-hmm. A new normal. Um, what was that like in those early days? Do you mind? No. So a lot of it, and folks who have gone through anything hard, I think can relate to this, that you're numb and it's almost like you're functioning outside of your body, yeah. like yeah, you're... Yeah, yeah. You're, you're moving through the day, but you don't really, I remember doctors telling me, I remember looking at a doctor's mouth and it was moving and he was talking to me, but I didn't hear what he, yeah. it couldn't register what he was talking about or what he was saying. Wow, yeah. Um, I remember being mad at friends and neighbors who appeared to not be hurting and think how unfair and unjust life was. I, I think there are a lot of phases of it all, right? That yeah. you're, you're numb, then you're mad. And, and those, those phases that you go through and you try to make sense of it. You try to think, did we do something horrible that we deserve? You know, you mm. go through all these different rationales of how the heck did we get here? 
Um, That's a great way to say that, Susan, yeah. Until you just eventually, and for me, literally years, and and maybe the biggest, biggest thing I want to say to anybody hurting mm-hmm. is there isn't a time frame where it just ends, but it does get better. And one day it's better and you don't know how you got there, but you're there. And mm-hmm. um, it took a lot longer. I thought that day would come a lot earlier than it did. Um, yet there are still days that I'll well up with tears because I miss Miss Greg the way he was. But uh, oh, where was I? <laughs> Just talking about those, you know, internally, what those early days were like and that yeah. process. Yeah. So numb and um, a lot of those days, once some of the numbness wore off and I, I tried to get my act together, I really leaned in on my own ability to fix. I, you know, you go mm. back to your, your old ways, your old habits and pull up the bootstraps. Come on, Susan, get it together. Wow. You you've accomplished X, Y, and Z in life. You're a smart enough individual. You can, you know, you, you can do this. Come mm. on, let's go. Mm. And I tried that for a while and it was not getting better. Well, I think that's, you know, both of these themes where you've said about, you know, the, we were going to act according to our vision. And then now that when you sort of finally realize, like, I got to wake up and get my act together, whenever that time was, that you're like back to pulling up your bootstraps. Basically, that's why you probably said, hey, Tammy, we're just going to make this be talking about control right. in one, warm, right. one form or another. Right. Right. Because that theme keeps coming back and um, and hitting me over the head. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would think the, the, the big lesson, you get it. And still, yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah. And, I, and there are days I still don't get right. it. And I will struggle with it forever, I'm sure. Um, but at least now I, I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing what the challenge is of this control theme that keeps reappearing in my life. Well, if you were the only one on the planet, then we could all sit here and cast aspersions. But I do believe that absolutely, I know myself, same thing. It's just like, haven't you learned this lesson? Oh, 55 million times before that, Tammy, you are not in control. Mm-hmm. And I like I like it when things go like according to the plan I've set. I dig it. And yeah, there's there's just a certain sense in which when brokenness comes in hard and big ways, control is the thing that's like that's a joke, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's a joke. It is a joke. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, it's a good realization in some ways because then the pressure of like <laughs> getting life all right and doing it all right is off our shoulders because it's exposed for what it is. It's a lie. And it's freeing. And in some ways, Ooh. I Ooh. I think how free I am by the hoax of control being and realizing it's a hoax. Um, even with my my sons, I recently had a conversation with one of them about how I was um, I have two in college and one in high school, and I'm still a little controlling of the high schooler. I won't lie, but the two, in co- <laughs> the two, the two in college, I'm really trying to give them their lives. I'm not in charge of them, and um, trying to really work on those relationships and let them make their own mistakes without me chiming in all the time. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, even on on the smaller smaller scale mm. that control thing and I think it's improved our relationship I I'm fearful for what it would have been if I would have kept pace with the mm. control I had of them when they were younger um so there's some beauty gosh I just love that. how you turn some phrases here for the astute listener it's like oh you could pick that right out of what she just said and put that on like a little post-it note to remind yourself that's you turn great phrases but uh I love the concept of the fact that there is a freedom that comes with the obliteration of thinking we can be in control. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Like freedom comes mm. from mm. this like, oh, yeah, my world's been blown apart. Mm-hmm. Freedom from what or freedom to what? Yeah. So, well, freedom from being perfect because we all are human and that's impossible. But yet um, I've. I've set goals that I, so an example is I set a goal uh, 
to qualify for the Boston Marathon in when I turned 40. That okay. was a goal. I and I was sit in awe right here. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have to be socially distanced well, because I might want to hit you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, amazing. The, the part of it that I reflect on, though, is I never really questioned it. I just thought, well, it's my goal and I know what it takes to get to the goal. I, I had control. I, I, I put in the time. I put in the miles. I put in the speed work. I put in... Because it wasn't a natural fit for me just to go do it. Some people can do that, which I I don't get. But I lived life that way. I would set a goal and then I would go meet it. And and when life is turned upside down and there's no fix, my husband won't walk again. There is not a fix. What Mm. do you do then? when it's not a goal that you can set and a recipe you can follow. There has to be another way. And that only way is Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only piece I've been able to find. And so when I say freedom, it's freedom from myself thinking I can, Mm. uh, you know, make a to-do list. And if I do that to-do list, then this is going mm. to happen. If I set a goal and I mm. I run the miles, then this is going to happen. Yeah. Well, when something really bad happens that is out of your control, no matter what you put your mind to, you can't fix it. Where do you find the freedom? And for mm. me, it's it's been crying to Jesus, you know, make this go away, make this feel better. Mm. And uh, he has in a lot of ways, in most ways. And I I don't think because I'm still here on earth, it can ever completely go away. Someday yeah. it'll go away when I'm in heaven and, yeah. and uh, I'll have complete freedom. But until then, um, he's he's changed my heart. He's softened me. He's... Mm. He's made me more sensitive to others. He's made me more aware of my own flaws and my own pride. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing how, how he's softened me into something more, more likable. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no way. I don't think likability has ever been a problem for you in terms of this great gifting you have with people and to put people at ease and, and, uh, be comfortable. But in terms of your relationship with God, you, you cut to the chase. You said, listen, basically only Jesus, only Jesus. So how, how has your relationship with God morphed? Because, you know, unwittingly, those of us who are trying to control, even though we're believers and we think we're not, we think we're trusting God, we think we're surrendered, but then something really does the squeeze play on us. And we get to see if there's really trust in there. And there's really surrender in there. And so this is what you've undoubtedly been through. Um, So how has it morphed your relationship with God going from the, this equation that you gave Greg and I is working great to you have let us down in this equation type, you know, that whole process in between. Yeah. I mean, I was mad for a while. I remember being on a run in the middle of this woods I run through close to our house and I listen to my, I call it my Jesus jams. I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can really, I don't know what I look like to people driving and walking by because it, I'm sure could be really interesting (laughs) times. I've got my hands in the air. I'm crying. I mean, I've fallen on the ground screaming. I mean, I've done some really unusual things, uh, processing. Um, but I, I have, during those times in nature, I think part of it is for me, it's been in nature. It's been uh, when I'm by myself where I can just really focus on, um, feel the closest to God, listening to these music. um, Just there's so much great music out there that uh, opens your soul to you're this itty bitty little person Mm -hmm. in the world. You're not it. (laughs) I grew up thinking I was. (laughs) Um, You're not it. And the only way to get better is to, to give up that facade and to lean on the master of the universe, Mm -hmm. Jesus. And it's, it's awesome. And I, I want, 
everyone who's not there to be there, but I get that everyone has their own journey. And um, Mm. when I'm with friends that are hurting, I just, you know, you want to tell them what, again, I want to tell them what the recipe is. Well, it's not my recipe. You know, it's everyone's journey. Faith journey is their own. And I've learned that too. And that's been interesting with Greg and I, because just getting through all of this, um, we're closer than we've ever been. He's the greatest human being I know. Um, Mm. He's phenomenal, phenomenal man and husband and uh, father friend. He's, he's, I mean, truly he's a great guy. Um, But I've, I've learned that he can't heal me (laughs) as great as I think he is as a human being. And I used to think he could, I used to think he could solve all the problems um, that we had. And he did a lot of them. Um, but I've had to find out that this mourning process is so selfish. And I use that word. And someone once argued with me, I don't think your mourning has been selfish. I'm like, it it is selfish. It's the only way you can mourn because no one can be in it with you. Even though Greg is mourning, he's mourning his losses Mm -hmm. and I'm mourning my losses. And he can't fix my hurt and I can't fix his hurt because if we could, fix each other's hurt, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to fill in the spaces. And so it's, it is selfish. And I think it was created that way on purpose. When you're hurting, you feel like no one on earth could hurt this much. No one else's hurt could be this deep. Um, and it's kind of true because you're in it and mm-hmm. it's your hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus filled up those spaces for me and uh, continues to do so. And I can still go down the road of feeling real good and sorry for myself and feeling like my friends have it easier and better and mm. their problems seem lighter. And um, But then I remind myself, no, their mourning is selfish and that their hurt is as deep and as real as my hurt because mm-hmm. it's their hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's huge. I, I too, you know, had a peaked interest when you said mourning is selfish because mm-hmm. I deal in mourning with people all the time. Right. And I help people walk through grief all the time. And so I just sort of raised my eyebrow. What do you mean? And you are absolutely beautifully correct and uh, eloquent in describing how the mourning process and its intensity is by necessity self-focused. Self-focused. And I think the word selfish makes people think you're doing something wrong. Like, oh no, you weren't selfish, Susan, in mourning. You had every right to be mourning. No, I don't mean it that way. I mean that no one can go through it and but me by myself. And so how do I get through it? By leaning on God. That's where I think that's where the selfish part comes into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, The truly, I'm just loving how you're teasing out the truly unique nature of mourning. Right. You know, and so, no, your process is not going to look like somebody else's. Yes, there will be similar seasons that you walk through, similar things like how to deal with other people and what that's like. And, you know, there will for certainly be for certain be an angry time, probably and a yeah, a shock time. But in general, everyone's mourning process from the littlest thing to the biggest thing. See, mourning is mourning is mourning. That's what you brought up. Right. right. The, the only loss, you know, is the only loss you've ever known. Correct. So right. somebody could be having a real hard time about losing their dog. Well, thank God, because they've never lost a human that was close to them like that. You know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, Susan. I'm like I said, I'm so glad you're here. Um, yeah. So the the accident was actually in 2017. And at the time of this recording, we're sitting at the very end of 2020. Yeah. Goodness, thank the Lord we're sitting at the end of <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Anyhow, does that feel like a long time ago? Or like just yesterday? Because, you know, in the span of your life, you just turned 50. It's only three and a half years. Um, uh-huh. And yet, and yet, you have, I've heard you use phrases about it took so long. So what does it feel like to you? Yeah. It seems almost like I've had two lives. So the life before oh, the accident yeah. and right. the life after the accident, right. because it's 
changed us. I, I'll speak for myself. It's changed me that deeply that I feel like um, that was a whole nother life, a world ago. Um, but I do have memories and, you know, fondness of, of remembering Greg before. So I obviously still miss that, um, but it does almost seem like another life. And yet I can remember it like it was yesterday. So mm -hmm. I guess the answer is both. <laughs> it's really good. Gosh, I'm just so thankful for your vulnerability with us and your honesty. It's so instructive. So to that point, do you want to do you want to tell us to the book? Tell us about the book yes. a little bit, like you know, kind of what's in it. Um, you know, I know that it was born out of sense of creating legacy. Actually, mm -hmm. that it, you had not intended it for it to be a book that I wrote, uh, but instead it was born out of this this desire to process your own life and what you were going through, and that quickly turned into an idea of legacy for your son and their potential future mates and that kind of thing. So so anyhow, tell us about this book and what you yes. hope people get from it. Yes. So I, yes, yeah, so I went down the, the be, I was an English major and always enjoyed talking and writing. And so I was really working on processing the pain and just started writing everything down mm. and it was raw in it. Mm -hmm stunk <laughs> getting it out um hours and hours uh I spent by myself to just try to heal and I wanted to capture I didn't want I wanted to capture the pain so that we wouldn't forget it mm. wow, um that's incredible I wanted to capture it before it got better now although I didn't know at the time how long that was going to take um but I remember writing and just sobbing and remembering and thinking, oh, this stinks writing this down. But if I don't write it down now, we might not remember or we won't be able to pass it on um, to my son's, you know, future wives. I, and so that was a big reason I did it. I never considered uh, sharing it outside of family and close friends. Uh, when I started writing, I just thought this will make me feel better and it'll make sense. I wanted to make sense. Again, there's a control thing. <laughs> I wanted to make some sense of what had happened and, and how we had, um, how I had actually gotten to the point of depending on Greg to the, it, which is a big part of, of the writing is I had depended on him to fix so much. And then when he was unable to do that, what do I do now? And uh, so I went down the road of writing it out and sat on it for a while. And I would pull it out on the weekends and I would start editing and rereading and I'd fix things and add things and take things out. I did this for a couple years, shared the writing with a couple friends and said, hey, will you look at this and and go through it and make some edits and, you know, catch grammar problems and anything that you think. And did that and had a friend that said, I think this could be really helpful to folks. And uh, it, that, I couldn't let it go. I just, I would put it away for weeks on end and then I would pull it out. And so, um, oddly and kind of a cute story is, I just would bring it up to Greg. Hmm. I feel like I need to do something with this. I feel led to do something. This could help someone. I don't, if it would help one person, it would be worth sharing. And on Mother's Day, this past um, Mother's Day, I sat down for a little Mother's Day brunch at our house with the three boys and Greg. And Greg uh, wheeled out of the room and came back with this big manila envelope. And on the outside, it was signed by each of the boys and by Greg. And it said, go for it, mom. You can do it. We love you. You're just encouragement. And I opened it up and it was a certificate to a publishing editing 
uh, company that Greg had called an interview. Oh, come on. And I sat there and sobbed because of the sweetness of the gesture because he knew I was, I couldn't let it go, but I didn't know what to do with it. And so it was a nudge from my hubby and uh, the boys sat there and stared at me while I cried. I remember thinking, oh, Susan, get it together. This is, this is, it was just super, super sweet moment. But, um, so then I sent what I had worked on uh, to this um, company and and went from there. And then that took like six months of back and forth. And here we are. That's incredible. And yeah, it's just been out a couple of weeks. And so I'm so excited to be able to, you know, let their listeners know where you can find it to read. Um, yeah, so it's on Amazon. It's Between the Helicopters. The uh, title's Between the Helicopters. Um, it's on Amazon and, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy when you look on Amazon and you see your name, (laughs) not something I ever thought I'd see. Um, but there it is. Yeah. It's also crazy when you, uh, I didn't anticipate this with book number one, which is when you're like, oh, it's just so much effort to get it out. It is like birthing something. Yes. It just yes. is. It is. So much effort. It is. So much effort. And so then when you've, you just, all the effort is going into like the birthing, the birthing, the birthing. You don't ever think about like what that feels like once you actually, oh, it's done. And then you're like, oh, I got oh. my clothes off. I don't <laughs> think I slept that night. <laughs> I was like, what have I done? Yes. What have I done? Yes, Um, yes, yes. Definitely. And it is very raw. It's very real. And it's not just about me. It's about my husband. So that's been interesting because he's um, much more introverted than me. And, um, of course, I, of course, early on asked his blessing on, on making it public. And he said, I don't think we have any choice but to do it, and mm. that's how he is. But at the same time, he's he's much more private, and uh, that's it's been an interesting. I've had a few moments where I thought, "Oh, I don't know that I should have done this," um, mm. because of that reason. But uh, we both feel that you know God has put us in this situation yeah. not to hole up and be private about it, um, but to share and encourage others and greg has been i mean gosh maybe i just need to have him on the next podcast (laughs) because he has been incredible he is incredible incredible to go from a triathlete Mm -hmm. to accept this Mm -hmm. new life Mm -hmm. with such grace and humility not denying the pain not denying the agony of i just would love to have continued where we were and yet to say yes to the Lord he's it's just incredible he's incredible so to that point about the intensity of the pain I love that you said I had a sense that I needed to write it down so we wouldn't forget well it seems like that has been one of the things that has come out since even these few weeks where the book has been released you said there have been a couple of things that have emerged a little bit since that Uh, do you want to share on that about how we just truly don't know what people are going through behind closed doors. You had that sense. Yes. So I think one thing that's really come out from the accident and then now again from the book becoming public is people realize that this couple and this family that they thought had it all together, and then even tragedy strikes, and then they get it together again, they realize there was so much pain, hidden pain. And I use the term probably too many times, but it was the only term that made sense behind closed doors. I used it a lot in the Mm. book because literally Greg and I would go to our bedroom and close the doors because we didn't even want the boys to know how sad we were and what we were struggling Mm. with. And so if our boys don't know, then certainly the neighbor doesn't know. And mm. certainly, you know, even family and friends, it's it's been really, really mind-blowing to me that so many people have said, we had no idea you were hurting that deeply and that it was that hard on you. Um, so I feel like by sharing that it 
yeah, it was that hard on us. It allows other people to yeah. be comfortable in the realness of their pain and that faking it and, and, and yes. <laughs> doesn't heal it. Faking pain doesn't heal it. It might band-aid it temporarily, but it no. doesn't no. go away. Well, I often say it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. What happens is, well, you might be able to do that for some time, but the the consequences of your energy sapped, your, yeah, anyhow, the consequences yeah. of what it takes right. to push down that kind of pain are huge on right. one's life. And so you're right. There's only one alternative mm -hmm. and it's straight through it. Yeah, it's, it's straight through it. And I think that several folks who have reached out to me have found um, hope in that message and no, good. have uh, appreciated the honesty of of our of my story, and I again I, I I say my story because I from the beginning in the very beginning of the book I said this is my story. I'm not telling Greg's story um, because he has his story and I have my story. They certainly overlap, um, but in many places they're they're parallel. They're not. Mm -hmm. They don't overlap because we've been impacted in different ways, um, and thankfully we've bonded and pulled together for for most of the healing, but there are times where we have to, again, be selfish in our mourning and heal on our own. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's given encouragement to some folks who are like, wow, okay, so it's okay to hurt and it's okay not to hide it. and Or at least I'm not alone in it. So maybe yes. not even it's okay, yes. but I'm not alone. Yes. I'm not the only one hurting behind closed doors. Huge. That's probably the big message. I'm not yeah. the only one yeah. closing the doors and sobbing in pain because I don't like the life I've been given. I'm not the only one. Um, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's so good. Just uh, any time that we can be reminded like what you see is not necessarily what is going on like we have to just be willing to see beyond to always have eyes that see beyond and it reminds me of that quote um what is it how it goes be kind to all for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle and I think yeah if they look like they have it all together sorry still true about them yeah if they look like they're a broken mess yes they're fighting a great battle and that you know that ties into the spiritual realm as well that, that we have an enemy who's constantly pummeling us who is constantly trying to pull us from the things of God everyone we meet is fighting that same battle mm -hmm. and so many of our internal struggles are actually so similar to one another it's so good yeah. oh Susan you're just a you're just a powerhouse like I said a powerhouse of incredible wisdom deposited in you and your willingness to steward it and to say yes to it. it's amazing so there are people listening right now who cannot fathom how you can go through what you have and come out as this positive real honest even hopeful person that they're sitting here listening to so you want to tell us how that's the case wow well Jesus that's it <laughs> I can't think of anything else <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting, the the faith journey. I mean, I've been a Christian since I was a little kid, grew up. My mom was a great example. You go to church, you, you know, it, it, great example. Um, and I lived that life and did what I thought was the right thing. Um, but... You know the relationship part of it is, and I, I I couldn't I couldn't get my act together after this accident, and the only way that I'm an encouragement or that I'm positive is because that's Jesus working in me and um, wanting me to be a light for Him. It's the only reason I can think of because the other option, which is maybe the human knee-jerk reaction is to resent what we've been given and uh, mm. come on just be grumpy about it <laughs> <laughs> to say the least to say yeah. the least to say the least yeah uh what do you want to say to someone who might be having to adjust to a life they never wanted who might have come face to face with knowing we're no longer in control we were never in control anyhow 
The first thing I want to say is I'm sorry. I yeah. think that's one thing that I've learned to say to people hurting is I am sorry. Because so it stinks and it hurts and it feels like it's never going to get better. And I'm sorry you feel that way because it's a lonely feeling. It's a desperate feeling. Um, mm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There is a however, however, <laughs> it can get better and it's not going to be perfect. So the better part comes through Jesus making, filling us up with hope and uh, finding finding ways to do things we didn't think we could do. Mm. Um, Boy, that's well said. But it doesn't make it perfect because we're on earth and life isn't perfect here. And um, a, big, a big thing in my book and a big realization was so even, I mean, a good ways into this tragic event that happened to us, I'm writing this book and in my mind I have the fairy tale perfect ending story. I'm still, this is after my husband has become paralyzed. I'm writing a book and I'm going to make a Disney ending. And I, I still hadn't learned. Come on. I mean, you know, how, how, how much does it take to learn? So I think, oh I think uh, oh. something I'd like to say to anybody listening to this, um, Greg said it to me, there isn't a cap on bad crap. There isn't a cap on oh, bad crap. That just because you've gone word. through something bad in life doesn't oh. mean you're not going to feel pain again because Unfortunately, we're human beings. We're going to feel pain over and over and over again. But I do think we can learn from the pain that we've gone through, and we can learn where to go to make it better. And it's not by pulling up those bootstraps. It's by going to Christ and asking for him to make you feel better and to uh, fill you up with a hope that's the only place you can get it because I just don't think it's humanly possible. Yeah. Um, so the ending to the story, to the book, to the truth is that uh, after the accident, something happened where Greg fell in his wheelchair and had a really severe concussion and had uh, bleeding on the brain. And I was going to end the book before that happened. And I couldn't find a way to end the book in my little head and so then that happened and I thought well wait that messes up this ending I had all planned out oh wow so interesting how um we keep learning um so more encouragement to anybody listening is you know the answer isn't looking for that Disney ending the answer is Mm. looking for what gets us through day by day yeah. and finding joy even when life isn't happy. And that's that's actually another theme we haven't brought up, but there is joy yeah. to be had when life isn't the way you planned it out to be. There's a, actually, there's a lot of joy you can find and <laughs> humor you can find mm. um, in, in the ugly. Yes. Lots of joy and humor in the ugly. Yeah. People who have been through tragedy, they develop a sense of what other people think of as like black humor almost. And it's like, no, it's a, it's a, its own beautiful coping, crazy mechanism. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You know, we talk a lot on soul talk about all of life is lived on the two rails of joy and grief. And you've been a great picture of that for us today. Um, Just listening to your story and the fact that there is joy, even though the mourning continues. From now, really, till you see Jesus face to face. But I don't know. I think probably my favorite thing of the day. There's just, there's no cap on crap. <laughs> <laughs> that if we can have that yeah. Yeah. realistic expectation, that there's joy even in that. Right. There are funny, happy, silly. You got to be kidding me! In the middle of that. You know, I just love even that Greg said it. He said it the way he said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so good. And, and when you were talking, and you were talking particularly about um, there's no other way out. Um, can't 
can't push it down. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. There's no other human that can do that. He is near when you are absolutely brokenhearted and not sure how you can do the next day, the next minute, when you're crushed in spirit, when you're crushed in spirit, that he's the only one that can be there. And so, Susan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this incredible, I feel like, lesson, this incredible conversation, this delightful time together, this um, revealing of authenticity in the middle of pain. Thank you. Thank you for it all. And uh, so the book is Between the Helicopters and uh, definitely found on Amazon and vendors therewith. And uh, I have read it. Uh, I love this woman. I love the book. And uh, might just meet somebody right where they are, especially around this holiday season that has much joy but much grief side by side, right side by side with that uh, joy. And this book does a good job of showing that in the first person. So I just want to thank you, Jesus, for Susan and for Greg and their willingness to put themselves out there in a way that leads people well and helps people not feel so alone and helps people see you in a more realistic way as the God who is the God of all comfort, as you tell tell us you are, and describe yourself in your word. And yet, Lord... So many people know that as a truth, but don't know what that looks like right now today in my heart, in my life, in my closet, in my my car. I don't know how that looks. And thank you that you've given us Susan today and Susan and Greg just on this planet as an example for how to uh, see that a little more clearly. And I do pray for anyone within the sound of my voice that he or she would know that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. I pray for those that are near somebody somebody in that space, that you would give them wisdom for what to say and what not to say. That, Lord, you would give them uh, a sense of being able to be with and not have to come up with anything, but that the being with is enough. And I thank you, Spirit of God, that that's a truth of us about you, that you're with us. Your word says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're reminded of your name, Emmanuel, this time of year that you are God with us. And I pray that right now all listeners would know your near presence with him or her, no matter what they face, no matter where they are, mountaintop or valley, that you are the God who is with. And I thank you for being the God who's been with us in this precious time with Susan. I pray your anointing on their family. Um, All the more, Jesus, in your name.